Turn, if you would, to the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. For those of you who are keeping score, there are only 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. And there's only 20 verses in chapter 28. We could finish this. We did start this in uh, 2017, so we will finish soon. Last week, we put Jesus in the tomb. The week before that, we had the crucifixion. We talked about why it was necessary for Jesus to die. And we talked about the necessity of the sacrifice to pay the penalty for the sins of us. He did it for us. Today, we really only have one question to address. There's some side questions, but there's one main question, and that is, why did he have to rise from the dead? Wouldn't it have been enough if he had died and stayed in the tomb... We would have had a life that was lived as an example of how we should live our lives. We would have had the sacrifice made to pay the penalty for our sins. Why was it necessary for him to rise from the dead? And the second question would be, why should we believe that he did? Because if there's one thing that lots and lots of people do not believe about Jesus Christ is that he was dead, but then was alive. That he died, and three days later was raised from the dead. There are many, many churches in this country today who are having church service who do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's a very large church in Fort Worth, and I have a sermon somewhere stashed away in some file, The sermon title is, Who Was Jesus? Because Jesus died. And he's a great example of how we should live our lives. But that's the end of the story. I was listening to a tape years ago. I think it really was a tape. And this guy was talking about being in seminary. And his roommate was all all stressed out. Because he was getting ready to take his final oral exam to graduate from the seminary. And the guy speaking on the tape says, well, what's the issue? And he says, do I go with it or do I not go with it? And he says, go with what? Do I go with the resurrection or do I not go with the resurrection? Why do we have trouble with the resurrection? Well, that's actually kind of an easy question. Because all of us have gone to a lot of funerals in our lives. This is the 20th year of me teaching this class. And while I've been teaching it, I've gone to a lot of funerals. Never once have we had the dead guy pop up in the middle of the funeral and walk out of the room. Never once. In all my experience, we all know about death. We don't know too much about people being raised from the dead. It's just an odd, almost bizarre idea that Jesus would be raised from the dead. So we're going to talk about why and why we should believe it, and that's today's lesson. 
I could just cheat and read to the end of the chapter and we could be done, right? Now, after the Sabbath day, this is verse 1 of chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, this would be Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. If you have any questions, that's why we celebrate on Sunday, because we remember the resurrection. If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist or a good Jew, you celebrate on Saturday because, well, that was the Sabbath day. Now, after the Sabbath day, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Remember, Jesus had been placed in a tomb. A large stone was rolled in place of it. We're talking a large stone. We're talking a stone that was probably this tall, carved to be round. It was probably on a gentle slope, so you'd roll it into place. It was sealed by the Roman soldiers. There were Roman guards outside to make sure nobody stole the body. So the angel shows up and he moves the stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers go to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Like with the crucifixion, The resurrection is covered in all four of the Gospels. We are not going to try to cover all four of the stories. Each of the stories gives different details and aspects of this event. But once again, as we talked about when we talked about the crucifixion, just because they offer different details, do not think that they conflict with each other. Each of them was written by the author through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us particular details that we needed to know. Matthew presents this story here. So, the ladies come to the tomb. Why would they do that? Well, people visit graves all the time, right? You want to be close to the deceased. You want to go and remember things. So they show up. But while they were coming, the earth shook and they get there and the stone is out of the way. And all these Roman soldiers are sitting there paralyzed. And I believe truly paralyzed. We're talking fear out the wazoo. We're talking people who have seen the dead and they've seen the angel. And they don't have anything to say and they cannot move. And there's an angel sitting there, and the angel says, guess what? He's not here anymore. Go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. So, why should we believe that this is true? I mean, we have other myths 
of other gods being raised from the dead. We have other stories. Why is this not just a myth? Why should we believe that it's true? But before we answer this question, I need to back up a whole lot. Because when people question the resurrection, what they're really doing is questioning every miracle in the Bible. It isn't like, okay, I can believe that he changed water into wine. I can believe that God separated the Red Sea. I can believe this. I can believe that. But I cannot believe the resurrection. Generally, when people question the resurrection, they're questioning every miracle in the Bible. Because we have been taught that there is a physical universe that obeys physical laws, and that's just the way it is. And things don't violate the physical laws of the universe. Wine is not produced by saying magic words over a bucket of water. But the thing we need to remember is that God, being the creator of the universe, is not constrained by the laws that we deem to be true about the physical universe itself. Let's back up to the very beginning. Okay? The very beginning. Last week, if you were here, I was sitting there holding my grandson. And while we were singing songs, I was standing over there trying to remember to push the button to change the pages, but I was getting distracted because I was watching this cute thing just sit there and make these odd faces. <laughs> and after class, I asked Teresa, I said, when our kids were young, did you just stare at them? Or were you so exhausted? For those of you who don't know, we have eight of them. Were you so exhausted that you just... And she said, no, I would stare at them for hours. Just sit there and hold them and stare. And I remember when our first child was born, and Teresa told me, how could you see this and think all of this just accidentally happened? How can you believe that? So if it is reasonable to believe that our universe is ordered in some fashion, it is reasonable to believe that there is a God who created it. And this God that created it stands outside of it and is able to control the events in ways that you and I certainly can't. He is the God. He is not part of the natural order. He is not constrained by the laws of physics. But wait a minute. We live in a materialistic age, materialistic in the sense that we believe that matter and energy are all that exists, and if you violate those laws, you're irrational. No, you're not. You're just acknowledging the fact that there are some Things that cannot be examined under a microscope or a telescope. That there is a spiritual realm that God controls. So it is not unreasonable to believe in a God who created the world that we see today. 
So if there is a God who created the world, who is outside of the world, he is not part of it, he can perform miracles. But what's even greater than that is if this God who exists outside of the world wants to communicate with those of us inside the world, it is quite reasonable and rational to believe that he would communicate to us. And that is what we have in the scripture. What is the primary way that we as believers, let's set aside right now the outside pagan world, what is the primary reason that we as believers believe in the resurrection? Because God told us it happened. Matthew tells us it happens. Mark, Luke, John, Paul. I didn't look it up, but I'm going to assume in about every book in the New Testament there is some reference or inference drawn from the resurrection. And then, of course, you can go back to the Old Testament and start looking at the prophecies that are going to talk about it. God, the Creator, communicates to us that His Son came in human form to die for us and that He was raised from the dead on the third day. It is not irrational or unreasonable to believe. But wait a minute. That's not going to convince somebody in the outside world, and that's probably true. Sometimes I worry about us who are Bible-believing Christians, us having trouble with it. It's like we're embarrassed by it. Oh, yeah, he, he raised from the dead. I know, you know, the Easter Bunny showed up and opened the tomb, saw his shadow, and there were three more. No, wait, I'm mixing things up. <laughs> we're kind of embarrassed. Yet in several weeks, we're going to celebrate the Christian holiday of the year. You're thinking it's Christmas, right? No. Christmas is something we made up. And it's great and wonderful. No problem with it. Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. But you're right. This isn't going to convince the pagan out there. How do we convince the pagan out there? that the resurrection really happened. And at this point, I have to give the little caveat that I always do when I'm teaching worldview stuff to high school students. And that is, if you think that you're going to come up with these couple of sentences, that you're going to go to the unbeliever and go, ah, gotcha, you're going to be in trouble. Why? Because all of us, as unbelievers, were stuck in our sin, and until God reveals the truth, we're not going to see it. But we can present, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reasons why it is not unreasonable to believe in the resurrection, even for the pagan. The biggest of those is the one that I've repeated the last several weeks because I find it so compelling. And that is the disciples. So I'm going to tell it to you again. 
just in case you didn't get it the last two weeks. Jesus is dead. He's buried in the ground. And these disciples get together in a dark room. What do we do now? Huh, I don't know. Let's tell people that he's really alive. Let's pretend that he's really alive and we can bring the kingdom in ourselves. And in fact, you know, all that stuff about thrones and power and influence, that can be us. We can start a great movement and we can become rich and powerful and we can be kings. Let's do it. And you know what? If I were looking at some medieval pope who did have wealth and power, you'd go, okay, I can see why you would do it for that. If I was looking at some modern TV evangelist who lives in the mansion and flies around on his jet, I could think, yeah, I would do it for that. That would be motivation to make up a story that says that Jesus was raised from the dead and try to convince people of the truth of that. That would make sense. But what happened to these 11 guys? I'll tell you what happened to them. Killed. 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 The last one they tried to kill, but it didn't work, so they had to exile him because they didn't know what else to do with him. Because God still wanted him to write the book of Revelation. I'm about to be crucified. And I decide at that moment, you know, I really did just make the whole thing up. Why don't I tell the guard that I just made it up and the guard won't kill me? That would have been the rational thing to do. Why would you go to your death knowing something was false? Lots of people have died for things that are false, but at the time they believed it to be true. To me, it is absurd to think that these 11 individuals from a variety of different lifestyles, a variety of different walks of life, fishermen, tax collectors, whatever, that all 11 of them died for their faith when they knew it was a lie. That's just unbelievable to me. So what is the biggest proof for the existence, the reality of the resurrection? Just look at the existence of Christianity today. You go, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a billion Christians on the planet, but there's also a billion Muslims. Yeah, but their leader didn't say he was raised from the dead, and it couldn't have been proven right or wrong. Jesus was raised from the dead. Or The disciples made it all up. And would they have died knowing that they had made it all up? And the answer is, I don't think so. How would you prove it wrong if you were sitting here three weeks after this event? Well, that's easy. You'd have walked over to the tomb, said, there's the body. There's the body. Therefore, he wasn't raised from the dead. 
Or the disciples stole the body and they would have confessed before they died. So there's either a body in the tomb, and you can prove it, or there's not a body because somebody took it. And why would those people die for their faith if they knew they had taken it and buried somewhere else? Now, there is another theory that people have. It's called the swoon theory. And it goes something like this. Jesus is on the cross. He's in great pain. I mean, horrible pain. This is a horrible way to die. I said this several weeks ago. You know, today we are uh, very set on the idea we do not punish people in cruel and unusual ways. The Romans were very interested in punishing people in cruel and unusual ways. That was the purpose of it. It was to show other people, don't mess with the Romans. So he's up there hanging on the cross, and eventually, because of the pain itself, he just passes out. Just passes out. And they're walking by thinking, hmm, he's not moving. He must be dead. Let's take him down, and let's bury him in the tomb. So they take down his body, they wrap him in cloth, they stuff spices in there, because he's going to stink. They stick him in the hole in the ground, and they put the rock in front. Now the cave is nice and cool, right? So he's sitting there, and he wakes up. Now, we have some problems, and that is, okay, he's wrapped up in tight cloth. He's got these things on his face that would probably suffocate him if he had been alive. And oh yes, did I mention that there's this big rock in the way? That he has to get, and somehow he just rolls the rock out of the way and walks off. Well, there's several problems with this story. Number one of which, the Romans said he was dead. Now you go, wait. They're Roman soldiers. They're not medical doctors. They don't have a stethoscope among them. But you know what? These are Roman soldiers whose job is to execute people. They made sure by sticking him, and he didn't move. The Roman soldiers would have known whether he was dead or not. And if there was any question in the world, they would have made sure there was no question in the world. I mean, that's simple to do if you don't have any trouble stabbing dead bodies, right? He was dead because the Roman soldiers declared him to be dead. And then you have to explain how this guy who had been bleeding to death and beaten and all this somehow was, unable, was able to unwrap himself and somehow was able to not suffocate and somehow was able to move the rock and somehow was unable to get past all the Roman guards. Not very likely. So either the tomb is empty or he's still there. If it's empty... Either he walked off, not very likely, or the disciples stole him, not very likely, or God raised him from the dead. After three days, God said, okay, come on. And up he popped. The claws were set aside. The angel moved the stone. And just casual observation, how many angels does it take to move a stone? Not many. 
The guards were terrified, and Jesus walked out of the tomb. Why is this important? Why do we even care? Why do we celebrate Easter? Why isn't it enough that he set an example in his life of how we are to live our lives and that he died to pay the penalty for our sins? Isn't that enough? Paul tells us, if Christ be not risen from the dead, all of our faith is in vain. It's worthless. Why? Well, first observation is, because how would we know that it worked? I mean, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. How do we know that it worked? How do we know that he won the battle? Because he came back and said so. But more than that, how do we know that death itself has been conquered? Because Jesus did it. We are told that Jesus is the first fruit of those who will be resurrected. That would be us. How do we know that this life is not all there is? That you don't live your years, be put in the ground, and become food for worms? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. By conquering death, he demonstrated to us that we too will live life with him. Why is it important? Because it shows that he won, that he shows that it shows that we too will share his resurrection with him. But more than that, it gives us power and strength to live our life today, if you read the scripture, it says that we do this because of what? The resurrection. What does it give us today? It gives us the confidence that God wins. You read the newspaper. You talk to people. And sometimes it just You just think that the world is going quite literally to hell in a handbasket. But the resurrection teaches us that at the end of the story, God is going to win. And what it also means is that as we continue to do what God asks us to do, the fact that we live, the fact that we die, is irrelevant to the story. Because you see, those 11 apostles who died for their faith, 10 plus the one they couldn't kill, were just the beginning. They were just the beginning of those who were willing to die for their faith. Why were they willing to do it? Because they knew in the reality of the resurrection. They knew that this was not the end of the story. There was more to come. So, you live, you die. Paul says it doesn't matter. 
For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It doesn't matter. What gave them that confidence? The reality of the resurrection. What gave those 11 disciples the power to change the world? The resurrection. As I've said repeatedly, go back to the last chapter. At that point in time, Christianity was dead. It wasn't like it had suffered a minor setback or a major setback. It was dead. The apostles had left. It was all over. What changed? And what changed was the resurrection. It is interesting reading this passage. It says that the guards were scared to death, almost literally. It says that the women were scared, but what did the angel tell them? No, what did Jesus tell them? Do not be afraid. We have seen throughout the Gospel of Matthew that whenever God through Christ, steps in to reveal the majesty of Christ to the world, the normal response is fear. It just is. I mean, we see it in the other Gospels where the angels show up to the shepherds to proclaim the birth of Christ, and what is their response? They're terrified. Trust me, you would be too. Jesus is in a boat. The storm is coming. They... The disciples jump all over Jesus because he's not helping them bail. And what does Jesus do? He says, stop it, and the wind stop. And what is the response of the disciples? They were scared to death, and you would be too. You read that story, and you think, oh, yeah, he calmed the storm. Yeah, so what? Trust me, if it happened, you would be scared to death. Whenever the majesty and glory of God was revealed through Christ, the normal response was fear because it was so outside the ordinary. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. If ever there was a response that was the right response, there it was. They worshipped him, if you will, before his death. They anointed him with oil. They did this. They did that. They followed him. He has just revealed his true self to these women, and they worshipped him as they ought to. Now, we could have a long discussion, if you wanted to get into it, about the fact that he is revealing himself to the women first, but we won't go down that path. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. We see in the other Gospels that there were other meetings going on. Okay? You know, he talked to people on the road. He went to the room where they were hiding. There were other events. But he had told them, remember, before the crucifixion, he had told them, Come look for me in Galilee. 
And we talked at that point about the fact that he was preparing them because he knew that they were going to reject him. He knew that after they rejected him, they were not going to be interested in seeing him again. But he was preparing them by telling them, whatever it is you're going to do, I still want to see you. I'm still going to forgive you. And we're going to get on with the work of God. It wasn't just some random event. So he tells the ladies to tell the men to come to Galilee. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Let's remind ourselves, okay? We have a tomb, we have a stone, we have a Roman seal. Now, a Roman seal is, would be like the seal that you put on a, a letter or something. In and of itself, it's probably easy to break. But in reality, breaking that seal would be an offense to the Roman government. And what that meant is all the power of Rome would descend upon you and it would not be pretty. In front of that, there was a group of guards. Now, this group of guards probably consisted of some of the temple guards who would have been Jewish, but it would also have the Roman guards who were sent there by Pilate to ensure that nobody messed with the seal, to mess with the stone, to mess with the grave. Got the picture. Now, you're a Roman soldier, and you're guarding a dead body. Not the most prestigious job in the world, but probably one of the easier jobs in the world, right? It's not like a prisoner who's going to complain and ask for food and water and go to the bathroom. It's a dead guy. How hard could it be? But it's still your assignment. It is your duty. It is your job. And if you fail in the Roman army to guard your prisoner, whether they're dead or alive, the penalty is death. We see this later when the apostles are arrested and put into prison and God opens the door to let them out and the guard's about ready to kill himself. Why would he do that? Because he knows that the penalty for losing a prisoner is death. And it would probably be quicker and easier to do it to yourself because, I may have mentioned about the cruel and unusual punishment part, it would not have been pleasant. These guards just let their dead prisoner escape. They're doomed. So they immediately run to their superior officers. No, they don't do that. That would have been a stupid thing to do. They go to the high priest. Help us, we're in trouble. Now, this could have been the temple guard, but it's probably some of the Roman guards too. We're in deep trouble. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Wouldn't it have been fascinating to hear what they really said? We were sitting there, and this angel moved the stone. He was sitting on top of it, and we stood there and watched the whole thing because we couldn't move. And out comes Jesus walking, and man, you should have seen the glow. Here come some women up, 
and they talk to him, and then they all leave. It had been interesting to hear how they explained it. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. Let's make up a story. You, a good Roman guard, who, if you fell asleep on guard duty, would be executed... And remember, you fall asleep, you're executed just for falling asleep, regardless of whether anything happens. A Roman soldier on guard duty was obligated to stay awake on pain of death. While you are asleep, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The question was asked is, to this day the day that Matthew is writing this? Or is to this day today? And the answer is probably yes. (laughs) Now think about this story. The guards go to the priest. The priest go, oh shoot, what do we do? Somebody stole the body. And they bribe the guards to go away. Now, I don't know how they worked this out with the Roman officials, okay? I suspect, this is just pure speculation on my part, if I were one of these Roman guards, I would have taken the money and headed out of town, okay? My days of the Roman legion are over, Because if I show back up to camp and I've lost my dead prisoner, I am in deep trouble. So it's easier just to disappear. And at some point, the officials tell the guards, if Pilate asks, you know, at some point Pilate goes, whatever happened to that dead body? Did anybody ever take it? Oh, yeah, some people stole it, and yeah, but the guards, they, the guards put up a good fight. They struggled well. Don't hold it against them. They were outnumbered. A group of trained Roman soldiers were overcome by a group of fishermen <laughs> in the middle of the night, but it's okay. We don't know if it ever made it to Pilate or not, Okay. We do know that a few palms were greased to make sure that the story wasn't given correctly. Once again, there's lots of speculation we could have about this. I have this speculation about one of these Roman soldiers who goes, well, I've got the money, I've got the story that... They told me to tell, but you know, I saw something. I saw something that didn't involve disciples coming and stealing his body. I saw an angel. We have no idea what effect it had on their lives. It's got to have some effect. So, we have five verses left. 
That's next week's lesson. <laughs> and we will finish. Today's lesson has two points. One, it is not unreasonable to believe in the resurrection. It just isn't. If you are a believer, you can believe it because the scripture teaches it to us page after page after page. If you are an unbeliever, it is reasonable to acknowledge that if there is a God who created the world, who is outside of the physical realm, that he can interact with the world and perform miraculous deeds. It is not unreasonable to believe. Pascal in his Pensees says, God gives us enough evidence such that it is not unreasonable for us to believe, but he does not give us so much that it compels us, forces us to believe. You can sit there with your unbelieving friend and with confidence say that it is not unreasonable. It doesn't mean they're going to believe it, okay? It's not going to mean that you can put it under a test tube or look at it through a microscope, but it is not unreasonable. The second point of the lesson is simply this. The resurrection is the central event in the whole gospel message. If Christ be not risen from the dead, all of our faith is in vain. Today, not the day after you die when you realize, yes, there is a resurrection. Today, the resurrection can affect the way you live your life. In fact, the scripture tells us we are to live in such a way that we reflect that he was the first fruits and we are following after him. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to pay the penalty for our sins. And thank you for raising him from the dead to demonstrate his power over death and the new life that he gives us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.